feel like I'm in Spain. This one was for Mark. Is this like the theme song to something? It's Edwin Diaz's entry song. Can you guys at least look like you're excited about it? Yeah, Rich! That's amazing. Welcome, everyone, to episode 107 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walt Pysik, Rich Greenfield, and let those trumpets play, Rich. Did, did he say underoos? I think he said underoos, which I had as a kid. I, I know there's probably more information Dude, than you needed, but I'm just telling um, you. I don't think he said underoos. But I think he did. But your mom did tell me about your blankie mm-hmm. that you took to college. Oh, this is going off the rails. Do you know this? This is seriously well, going off the rails. I don't yeah. think our whole audience knows that story. Well, I thought that was inducing this out it of her. May, I thought there was a cape as well. Well, no? this, this may be a surprising story. Oh, God. This is definitely going off the rails. Rich's mom telling us about the blankie? Yeah, the that blankie and, and and how she had to help him stop using it when he met Rachel, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is going to be a long episode. You know episode. what? We need to keep ourselves entertained and, and laughing in a uh, otherwise very long week, fellas. It seems uh, like yes, it's a challenging stock ending. market to make money, that's for sure. Or even hold on to existing money. (laughs) I was going to say that. I'm so glad you guys had me buy crypto. That was a really great idea. I want to thank both of you for that, because that was definitely one of the worst things I've ever done. I think I'm still up on crypto like nicely. I don't know. You just waited, Rich, till the last minute. We've been through this. This is like the 14th time that we've talked about this. How many times do you need to come up with another line where you don't know what to say? So you're just like, oh, I'm glad you guys got me into crypto. Yeah, I, <laughs> either take responsibility or stop bringing it up over and over. Just I mean, honestly, it's literally like when you when you have a social equation and someone doesn't know what to say, so they just bring up the same thing over and over. Maybe I, it's I have friends that listen to this me. podcast. There's one or two that I could totally out for doing that. Like, hey, how are the how are the kids? Like, dude, honestly, just like come up with something interesting. How's the weather? There how's the weather? How's yeah, the weather? Just ask us there. How the weather is Walt, this, how's the this, like recurring question is Walt, like, how's the weather there in Boston? <laughs> uh I have a lovely view of Charles River right now, watching Beautiful. rowers Beautiful. row down the it's rowing a... Charles Row River. <laughs> Sorry, I was told our po- a shout I, out I was, to one of our listeners. <laughs> I was told our podcast is the financial equivalent of Smartless. I don't even know what that it's, is, but okay. I think that's a that's actually a fucking compliment. That's a great compliment. Yeah, someone yeah, complimented. Compliment. You you've never listened to Smartless, Walt? No. You would love it. I mean, it I is listened to Odyssey, great... WIP, Angelo Cataldi, The Economist, 
and light reading a little bit and some no, other and, that is and, some, and Galloway just for shits and giggles. You know, just you so know I what, know what to do with you Twitter. know what this shows, Walt? Your what? flexibility, right? <laughs> As somebody who's able to expand or contract their mind at any time. It's funny because I wouldn't have <laughs> used the word flexible with Walt. No, he is not a flexible person. I, mean, I definitely would not have. That would not be the word that comes. I think to I'm mind. the only flexible one in the group. Should I have been flexible about my views on Peloton and flexible about my views on uh, Twitter and a couple other things, or should I stick to my guns? I think you stick to your guns. Your instincts okay, are usually you. pretty good. Okay. Why don't Why don't we get to Twitter then? Right, right now. Good se- that was my segue. Was that was I hope that I that was that was that was smooth. That was okay. like when the DJ like <laughs> inches into that next song really well. Uh, so a lot happened with Twitter this week. I guess we'll start with Parag, the CEO, um, who essentially responded to some of Elon's commentary that bots were a lot more than 5% saying sort of the deal is on hold or temporarily on hold, that he might want a lower price to proceed. So Parag tweets out, our actual internal estimates for the last four quarters were well under 5% based on the methodology outlined above. The error margins on our estimates give us confidence in our public statements each quarter. Uh, And then he said, unfortunately, we don't believe that this specific estimation can be performed externally, given the critical need to use both public and private information, which we can't share. Externally, it's not even possible to know which accounts are counted as MDAUs on any given day. And Elon tweeted out a poop emoji. I just want to step back for a second and say, I do, the more I've been thinking about Elon and his Twitter experience, he is not the normal Twitter user. And I think he's tweeting a lot about his personal experience. And he has a very different Twitter use case than the average person. And what I mean by that, he's followed by 94 million people, and yet he only follows 112 people. And that I think speaks to why he may like reverse chronology because it actually works for him because he doesn't <laughs> follow a lot of people. I'm going to jump in here, Rich, on sure. the reverse chronology just because you brought it up. Um, I actually have moved to reverse chronology um, because I care. I am time sensitive on on topics because the things that I care the most about in my Twitter feed are sports which you know unfolds on a daily basis like every night sure um number one number two anything related to real-time news and conversation that touches the media industry or the markets or how they intersect and a lot of times what i find with the twitter algorithm is that i would get things that would be like you know Oh, I can't believe the market is down 4% today. And that's like the market's actually up 2% the day mm-hmm. that I'm reading the yeah. tweet. That's just, that's a very well, otherwise stated, otherwise stated that the algo is terrible. The so, algo, the algo is terrible. I, I, the same, I agree with you 100%, Brandon. And like, look, maybe we're not the typical user, but who is the typical user then? Yeah. I mean, I think when you, most of the DAU, to your point, Walt, are, are, probably more power users at this point. Right. They don't have. No. Oh, no, 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 no. DAU. By power user, people... I mean not tweeters, but power readers. Right. They're reading people by, who, by definition. who come in really over and over users. and over and over and over again. But not tweeters, just to be clear, not people who actually tweet. 
No, Mr. that's not what I was. That's, that's not, not what, what I said. said at all. No, I will say this. And I only follow. I've tried to keep like a pretty well curated. So there's, you know, a group of people that I follow so that there's not that much noise. It's, I don't know, 700 and something people. So yeah. it's not that small, but I have noticed that since I moved to reverse chronology, um, a lot of times in the day, like I can get back several hours in a couple of swipes. Yeah. Whereas like, and maybe that's why they, they want you to, um, and Rich, don't you follow like 2000 people the which in my mind is that's ridiculous to follow 2000 people. Of course you need some type of filtering Yeah, because that's why he has so chronology. much noise. So are 3, you 000, a typical user? 3, okay. Right. That's there, ridiculous. That's it. That's what, you know what, if you do a poor job building out your, um, your interest graph on Twitter, yep. either too little, too few people or too many people, then you know, yeah. you're going to have problems no matter so, what. So maybe and, the right answer is, a, is an algorithm that is case specific. Maybe that's or, the ultimate answer. Right? I, I mean, depends. hasn't Twitter been around for God knows how long and been working on these problems? Well, should, like, why should we be coming up with the answers? They've had teams and teams and teams of people to do it before. I think well, a lot of what Elon's pointing out is just the obvious. Sorry, Walt. No, okay. No, continue. So I think they've tried to do this with lists and then more recently those groups like i started my Topics. 5g group oh, they're trying right. to communities yes but these the are communities just these exist. are just other ways because you don't have a good algorithm to to, to feed interesting information like right. you would compare it to tiktok relevant. where you would say the algorithm's incredible i mean tiktok's not a perfect comparison here but i i would say facebook even though it was used to enrage people they at least they know how to do it they, like Twitter doesn't even know how to do it. I don't think it doesn't seem like they do because again, to, to Brandon's point, same thing. You get these like stale tweets. Like how does the algo not filter out something that's like specifically a time-based tweet that's no longer relevant to the, to the user. Yeah. The AI needs to figure out that, that difference for like sure. There were sports tweets I was getting about the Sixers winning one game when it was already the day after they'd fucking <laughs> yeah, choked out. That, the that's next what game. I'm saying. And it's it's like we Rich, remember we used to go back, we going back, we used to like sit and brainstorm with Adam Bain. And then it was like sports talk um, radio at, at, with yeah, Twitter. And like how that was such a good entree for them was sports talk radio. And then yep. it's not even in the algo isn't even in real time for sports or news. Like, and what is, what did Jack always say um, Twitter was? It's what's happening now, Correct. right? So if it's what's happening now, shouldn't the chronological be most of what the- I mean, what People the have the choice to do that. It's it? just a matter of like when it defaults over, like, you know. It sounds like what you're choice. both saying. Well, well it, it sounds like what you're saying. Is, wait, hold because on. they like took both that is... choice away for not that long ago, and everyone freaked out about it. They were like, you can no longer do reverse cron. Remember that? I thought but, there was always an option to switch back to, to, to chronological. No? There was, and they took it away a few months ago, and everyone freaked the fuck out, and they put it back. Appropriately so. Yeah. But, but again, I guess what you're both sort of saying is that the right answer is probably a combination of both versus an either or. I don't probably know. You should, have, you should always have the option. But if they think that there's more revenue opportunity by pulling in a segment of the customer base that or user base that appreciates 
chronology, like yourself that has 3,000 users or maybe the occasional user, then just get better engineers and maybe Elon can attract better engineers. But there's another aspect of this in that first tweet, Rich, that you brought up that I think is kind of silly, which is talking about, oh, hello, big energy. It's talking about the bots. Um, big, big yes. energy. I just find it amusing that everyone is triggered by Elon trying to surface about the number of bots when they themselves were complaining about this stuff prior to Elon's kind of activity with this company. Like you can't have it both ways. Oh, Elon, he's unfair. He's going after, but like, and all these, you know, at least in my Twitter feed, um, which is reverse chronological there, you know, these people were like, they were the ones complaining about bots before. And now they're like, Oh, Elon's being unfair about going after them for bots and trying to get out of the deal or lower the price. I think it's a little different than that, Walt. I think it's more of like, when the guy trying to buy the company who's got private inf- confidential information is tweeting out or not even tweeting out, literally going on an interview and saying, you know, he compares it to a house and he says, imagine buying a house and you think under 5% of the house has termites. And then you find out that, oh, oh it could I be did. 90% of the house or the entire house is a termite. That's can called it, negotiating. Well, normally you do that. Normally you do that before you sign no, your no, name. Dude, Brandon, not let, after. No, no, this, Brandon, let, let me have one this, second. Here. Okay, go ahead, Walt. And then I'll, I'll follow. Uh, have you bought and sold a house? Because when I, I sold it, I, I sold a house at the closing, the, the person comes back and claims all these different things and asks for a price adjustment. So yeah. your analogy fits perfectly in this scenario because the, 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 the buyer comes back and argues that like, oh, my, my home inspection found A, B, C, and D. Unless some, unless you're like Joe and you just like wave but, that. But, but your closing no, no, was no, subject no, to an inspection. No, no. Inspe- there you go, Rich. And, Thank you. And- Elon waived his due diligence rights in doing this deal, right? So he basically he waived his inspection. That's right. He said, I don't, I don't care about doing due diligence. I don't need to do due diligence. Let's just sign the deal. Okay. 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 And now he's so- going back and he's saying, well, there's like over 5% are bots. So I, I'm not getting what I thought I was getting. Well, why didn't you do due diligence and make sure if that was such a critical issue? I think that is the biggest damnation of Elon, who clearly knows that he way overpaid for this asset. Right. Okay. So what you've described is someone that perhaps did a poor negotiation. And even though people do poor negotiations, they try and get out of them. And, and on the counterparty side of it, you just say, okay, I'll just force you to, to finish. And that happens, right? It, has, it actually happened a lot. So I, I went back and talked to some general counsels this week. I guess it happened a bunch of times during the financial crisis. There were several deals, not in our sector, but in other sectors where people tried to get out of them back in 2008. Yeah, and there's, they were that forced. KK, there's that KKR case. Right. That so that's fine. That. You can do that. But, but then you're forcing to close from someone that's actually going to be your boss. <laughs> and well, I think that's okay. I mean, look, I think the board's in a very difficult position because he's out there disparaging the company clearly to advertisers, right? Like an advertiser hears 90% of the traffic is fake. That's obviously putting Twitter in a bad position. And the board has a fiduciary mm. responsibility to protect the company, but it also has a fiduciary responsibility. A sm- I think a lot of advertisers, you think they're just fucking morons and they don't understand the dynamics of what Elon is doing right now? Um, I'm sure they or, do. Or that advertisers didn't suspect that there was, there was bots on the platform. I mean, come on. I think you, you constantly are using the advertisers like, oh, my God, the advertisers. Oh, the advertisers. But like, are they really that stupid? I mean, maybe they um, are if they're still advertising on television. 
but like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, okay. You just, I mean, this is TV upfront week and you literally just said the obvious, right? Like who are you reaching up front? No, no. Who are you advertising to on linear television? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's literally embarrassing. Well, I would, I would, I would go look. You're going to go to a graduation today. How many of those people are watching linear TV this weekend? I don't know. The graduations in Boston. So my guess is a, fuck ton of them are watching linear tv this exactly week. boom yeah they're, they're, they, they were watching they were watching it last night and going bananas hell yeah they were exactly nice one brandon okay so um <laughs> that was good brandon that was very good uh forget it. let's just move on. i i you know it, to me i don't want to move on i'm having yeah, too much fun on. yeah on the on the twitter topic Go, go, Rich. What's next on that? No, I, I was just going to say the, the last piece of this is obviously Elon feels like he's being forced to close. Is he? I, does he feel like he's being forced to close, or he is trying oh, to get wait, ahead of being forced to? Uh, I, I don't know. That picture using a gun, an image of a gun at his head. Oh, to me, that basically speaks to he's being forced to close You're, and doesn't want to. No, we Maybe. know he, we know he doesn't want to because he dramatically overpaid in a very hasty manager uh, manner in a in in a hasty manner because he got you know probably very excited and competitive about doing this deal and he thought competitive against two (laughs) that's what's weird i don't know the rush well that's a good point because there was no one else bidding for it but he felt like it was like him versus twitter who was if you remember poison pilled him and was trying to block him from buying the company and he probably felt like you know the competitive juices were going and he was going to go and get this deal done and show the world and then go and be like you know the um the savior of free speech and then and he did that out of emotion then looked around and is like oh shit the market isn't what it used to be there were no other bidders for this asset Oh, this this company only does what in revenue? Oh, how much leverage do I need to put on this asset? Oh, Tesla stock is going debt. Tesla stock was at six seventy three today, eleven hundred when I started this process, and now it's at six seventy three. Oh, I have to sell SpaceX shares. By the way, at one hundred twenty five billion. What do you think about that, Walt? Um, I, I I think if he could sell them at remorse. that valuation. I'm not sure he's super sad oh, no, no. about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you Especially in this buyer. market, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge believer in SpaceX, but 125 is a big number. Um, but by the way, on advertisers, you have Bezos out there tweeting some good shit. You've got all kinds of good stuff that Elon has once again increased interest in the platform. I'm guessing advertisers kind of like <laughs> greater <laughs> interactivity with the platform, however it it manifests itself. Well, it sort of brings back to Trump. Like I, I wake up every morning wondering what did Elon tweet? It reminds me of what did Trump tweet when you started yeah, today? But, but honestly, honestly, guys, where do people read these tweets? On the right? toilet? No. Uh, but <laughs> they, they read them in fucking articles that talk about uh, them. Like right. how many, like, I mean, we know the numbers, right? Most or featured people, on the news, like the yeah, Today featured, Show. Well, say, that's like, what I, that's what I mean, yeah. right? Yeah. True. If they're watching linear TV. You literally don't even have to be on on. You're, that's a good exactly. point. Exactly. You don't necessarily this, have to be. Yeah. That's why, like, Stella tried to solve this Twitter, problem exactly, a long time with ago. Logged in versus logged out. 
And they never I mean, solved the just, logged out issue. No, he the didn't. monetization ever. Twitter just never became a broad platform. They never did with it probably what they could have. Now that's going to be fucking Elon's problem, probably. Now, Maybe. why don't we just level do we, set before we do we, Hold on. Should we just check? Topic. Do we think Elon's actually going to buy this company? This, this, well, I'm going to take that question, Rich, and make it broader. Okay. The stock today, okay, let's tie this back to stock picking, is at $37. The the um, the deal is deal fifty four twenty. Fifty four twenty. Is this stock right here at this price a buy, a sell, or a do nothing? Knowing that it if it gets bought at fifty four twenty, obviously you make thirty percent in a matter of ma- months. Massive upside, right? You make more than thirty percent. If this if this deal breaks where's the stock rich 20 something i don't even know what kind of multiple you'd put on it anymore yeah i think the question would be is it if the deal breaks is this thing in play i guess that's going to be the big question is someone else going to step in because let you in your scenario this we already know no one stepped like Uh, no one stepped in no one stepped in at 54 dollars yes right would someone step in at at 20 something or 30 that's where i think you're missing he's not missing because I, I think that if there was that interest, there it, that would have been leaked somewhere in the press. So what what do we do with the stock here, guys? I mean, I think of- you guys are overly negative on, you know, even if the deal doesn't happen and Twitter's, mm-hmm. the board's gotten shaken up. So has the management team. Some of these people that left, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but maybe- Have they been replaced? Well- I mean, I think, look, I, their opportunity set exists there. You know, people are engaging with the platform. So I don't know. I'm with Walt. I think negativity is too extreme. I, the stock will go down if the deal collapses, sure. but I don't think it's nearly as bad as people think in terms of the underlying fundamentals. And I think there'll be M&A speculation will pick back up. But I do think the deal probably still closes because I think the board is going to sue him to close if he tries to back out. So. Yeah. I, I we're not lawyers. Is, we're not lawyers, yeah. but you know, from everything that I've read, and I've tried to gobble up every article on this, you know, for work as much as for fun, it seems like it's going to be a tough sledding for him to get out of this deal or even negotiate it lower. Maybe to avoid a lot of litigation, they lop off, you know, ten percent or some bullshit, some you know, factor of 420 that they could, that they could get to. Um, but look. yes, I see I see your lips pursed, Rich. What do you want to say? Let's move on. We've killed yes. Twitter to death. So let's talk Disney. So um, this is a front week, which is sort of embarrassing that we're talking about upfronts because no one cares about TV. And at most of the upfronts leave off the Warner Bros presentation and the Fox presentation where most of what they have is um, linear TV, but Disney um, Paramount, which is, you know, tied to CBS and Comcast NBCU, which is obviously the NBC upfront really felt far more like streaming upfronts than they did TV upfronts. The, I think the Disney started off with the cast of only murderers 
uh, in the building walking out on stage. And my background is Kevin Feige, who for the first time ever presented at an at an upfront event. And they actually renamed it. It used to be called the ABC upfront. Now it's the Disney upfront. And so a clear signal of like what matters is that there's now advertising on Disney Plus. And they clearly went out of their way throughout the whole presentation to focus on the importance of, of Disney advertising and, or Disney Plus advertising and what it was going to look like. And I think obviously the headline is only four minutes an hour. So even less than Peacock, which is five minutes an hour. Remember, linear TV that we all hate is 18 plus minutes an hour. So this is a pretty I fucking love linear TV. Right. 18 minutes. It's where of, I watch sports. Ads. Correct. With your 18 minutes plus of, of advertising per hour. But no ads for young kids. It sounds like movies are going to have very sparse ads, maybe before and after, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a very ad light experience. I'm not even sure it's going to be four minutes to start. And remember, it's not on everybody or all pieces of content. And so it's going to be a very light ad load. Still no comment on pricing. Um, but, you know, clearly, you know, in terms of they're, they've been very thoughtful about what the advertising experience is going to look like. And, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, it, it certainly will be additive to Disney Plus because I assume they're going to drop the price down a little bit on Disney Plus. They're going to raise the price, I assume, of the non-advertising or the ad-free product. So this should be, you know, immediately revenue accretive. How revenue accretive will find out, you know, I think the the big unknown that everyone sort of misses with advertising. We talked about this a few weeks ago with Netflix is generally when you put ads in, people watch less. And so the unknown is how much does watch time go down because there's advertising. And, and that's obviously the piece that we have no way of knowing until they do this. Well, is that last statement true in a streaming world? Meaning that if I'm on my cable box, DTV box in my case, and an ad comes on, it's very easy to change channels. Whereas if I'm within the, the Disney plus app, switching in between apps it's not impossible but it's not necessarily easy to do so maybe they don't lose viewership as easily as um, a typical linear tv setup for for whatever reason you know like hulu is like two to one in terms of watch time per sub now is it self-selective meaning the people who pay with to remove the ads are by definition the heavy users who don't want to experience ads and so it yeah, it may be self it may be a right? self-fulfilling sort of there's more utility in that extra but five the question bucks. was about those that are getting the advertising and saying that you say it reduces usage but like again it's right. i shouldn't say redu i shouldn't say reduces usage people with advertising tend to in total watch a lot less on streaming services than people who don't have advertising. In Disney's case, you're right. It's an interesting question because they've never had ads. And so you're putting ads in the for, for the first time ever. And so will it lead to, maybe it doesn't affect viewership at all because you know you already have this, this group of low end users. They're gonna be the low end users with or without the advertising, but at least there's now more ways to monetize them than just the low subscription fee. So you could be right. My guess is whatever Hulu's doing since they own it, They'll just, they're just assuming Disney's going to do. And that's that. I was having um, a meeting with someone who ran one of these services, a competitor service recently. And what they actually said is it's not about the total minutes of advertising that you put in. It's the frequency, meaning people don't like long breaks. Like the longer the breaks, the more problematic they are. So if you spread them out, even if there's more frequent, Shorter breaks are actually what is more tolerable to so people in the streaming world. So they're sensitive to the length, not the frequency. Oh, cor correct. The length is the single biggest problem 
that they, you know, you get into like a three minute ad break and people literally to Walt's point, they do will go do something else. They will just get frustrated, especially if they're seeing the same ad. And I think what Disney's trying to do is really limit the frequency because I think we all get nauseated when we see the same ad over and over again. No, they're no, they're trying to limit the length. No, no, and the frequency. So you don't see the same ad. You know, the, oh, the, okay. Okay. So, so you don't see the I same ad just, four times. I'm, I'm just can I go go back for a minute? There's just two so parts of frequency. Make, let's make this point clear for our sure. listeners and viewers. The frustration is with the length of ad breaks, not the frequency. Knowing that Disney is going to limit the length of the breaks in favor of shorter, more frequent breaks. Is that what you're saying? And only you can only see one ad per. You will not see the same ad twice in an hour and no more than twice per day. Okay. All right, so that's so, that's the that's okay. the other and part repet- of frequency. And the repetitiveness. repetitiveness. Yes, let's call it repetitiveness. Yes, because you're you confused me, and I am yes. sure you confused our listeners by using the word frequency to mean two different things. So I just wanted to clarify that. But I, you know, I just think that the there was a lot of excitement. I mean, I think advertisers look. Advertisers have been wanting two things, right? Like they're dying. TV eyeballs are evaporating. They want to put ads on Netflix. They want to put ads on Disney Plus. Like this is like the, this is a Nirvana month for advertisers because they're getting the opportunity to put ads in front of engaged eyeballs on streaming, which they've been dying to. The only question that no one's talking about during this entire upfront week is if all of a sudden you can put ads on streaming, what is that going to do to the linear TV advertising? And how bad is we already see cord cutting getting worse? Is linear TV advertising, especially with the, the economy worsening, what is linear TV advertising going to look like in yeah, the second half of this year? But honestly, Rich, does it really fucking matter, though? Because it's it's just a shift, you know, of, by the same owners. Right. Um, sure. Um, and there just, may be a bigger premium on the live event stuff. So sports, sports may get um, higher CPMs than they otherwise were. I guess the difference, not to mention the fact that sports ratings are really good now. I guess the only difference is, is that people have been valuing these things on the profitability of the linear businesses and then a subscriber or, you know, multiple on everything else on the streaming stuff. And so this sort of, they were were in the bull market, right? I don't think that's happening anymore. On a pure profitability basis, it makes no difference to your point. It's yeah. just one one pocket out the other. So, I th- okay, I, let's move on. I think investors are much more keen to value companies the way they should in this market than than they were. I think Walter should read this slide on Netflix. Um, well, there's three tweets, which is, in my view, an overabundance of tweets that we're showing here for our podcast. Just read the first one. Just read the first Netflix one. Netflix is right up your alley. Reportedly plans to keep some movies in theaters for longer before streaming, including its upcoming Knives Out sequel. And I think what this is describing, Rich, is um, the fact that your beloved Netflix is doing something that you've, you've railed against, which is to put stuff in theaters exclusively for a period of time. Please Netflix respond. Is, because- Netflix is doing... Everything that Rich has railed against for years. Yes. They've abandoned all religion. 
This is an I'll let Rich react, but this there's no, no keep going, Brandon. I think there's an the, interesting discussion the, to be to be had about this because somebody I was speaking to a client the other day is like says to me, look, the media companies were right all along. And Netflix is now just becoming a media company. And and I said, you know what, though? They weren't right all along because what Netflix did was they built 200, uh, 220 million subscriber um, company by not doing what everyone else in media was doing. Now they've reached kind of the saturation point on that. And in order to grow from here, they have to certainly abandon some religion. But if they did what everyone else was doing the whole time, they wouldn't have been a 220 million subscriber company. So the idea that there's validation for the way things used to be and for Netflix being wrong in its thesis, I think is completely off base. And I'll, we'll just say on the 45-day window, just because I think it's important, um, back when Roma was coming out, they tried to get to a 45-day window, and the exhibitors said, 60 days or no deal. And Netflix said, sorry, we're not going to do that. They actually offered up 45 at the time, and the exhibitors said no, because the window at that point was 75 days, and they wouldn't go below six, they wouldn't go to anything below 60. Now, obviously, windows have been reset to anywhere from generally they're around that 45 day mark is where windows are being set. I, I, you know, it's not clear from all of the verbiage. Is it fully exclusive for 45 days? Is it exclusive for a month? And like, it's not clear exactly what they're doing. But I do think to Walt, to your point, what Netflix is doing across the board is they are clearly more open to experimentation than they were before, whether we're talking advertising, whether we're looking now at password sharing, they are clearly breaking religion on things that they had been very, very firm on for a long time. Okay. You just stated a fact. Now, is that right or wrong? Because for a long period of time, not to mischaracterize what you said, you can tell me if I am, you would say no. like, this is, they, no one should do this day and date, day and date, drive the sub base. So you stated what they're doing, which is true. Now, is it right or is it wrong? Well, I guess two things. One, clearly what they were doing isn't working or not working well enough. So um, it probably Where speaks is Brandon to Well, it, it worked that, to get to 220 million right. subs. It's right. Not that, right. I think that was Brandon's point that he just made, that it's not that it's wrong. It's just that you've saturated that. And then so after you've, you've kind of taken all of the ground here, it's time to go elsewhere. So that's fine. Yeah. Like, so, I, I think we've been more... The part of Netflix that we've been most harsh on has been their movie strategy, where they've spent, you know, they're spending five or six billion dollars a year on movies. And I don't feel like a lot of these movies have really broken through. The question, the intellectual question what's is what's crazy about that, Rich, is when we just met with Reed a couple of weeks ago, he said that the movie part of the business is actually the part on the content side that's crushing it. At, at least in the, the, the so you're talking about zeitgeist breakthroughs. Yeah, I mean, look, it is certainly improved. And I think he was commenting more on the improvement from two or three years ago to today. Um, it's still, though, not Marvel. I mean, look at who's behind me and Kevin Feige. It's not Dude, Marvel quality. Nothing, nothing's Marvel. 
and like nothing's sure. gonna be Marvel or Star Wars. I mean, you're talking about well, that's uh, saying nothing. Saying years. nothing will ever no, is, not, a, is a not nothing ever. I don't want to be so black and white. You're right. <laughs> However, it would take a long time to I mean, look, to build. I still up remember we that. we had drinks. We had Very drinks back time. in December with Jason Blum, and we said to him at the time. Remember, this was after Squid Game had come out, and we were talking about sort of you know is there going to be a Squid Game moment for a streaming movie? And he's like, of course there's going to be. It hasn't happened yet, but there's going to be a movie that is streaming only that captures global attention. There, it just hasn't was. happened yet. What are you talking about? There was. It was the, the Sandra Bullock movie. What the fuck was that called? Blind, I mean, Bird Box. Bird Box. Uh, yeah. Bird Box. Why is, that, why is Bird Box any different than um, Squid Game? Honestly, it was a zeitgeist moment that yep. lasted for one month and then yep. went away to the point where I, again, just stumbled to remember the name Squid Game, even though you Correct. just said it. Right. So let's go it's, again. It's, it's literally the same thing. That's what Netflix content generally has been. It has been, you know, getting stuff that's good enough that captures the moment for, you know, a short amount of time and then just poof. But Right, but not good enough that you would actually go to a theater to see. <laughs> so let, let let me redirect the question again more directly. Well, um, yeah, I knew where you're going to go now. Yes, Sit down. I'm ready. You have been on Sit Twitter, and, We're all among sitting. other places, saying <laughs> good luck theaters. So if your beloved Netflix is now embracing the theaters for one aspect, again, not that everything they've done has failed, but like they've identified this market opportunity and says there is a revenue potential in theaters with a product that we can we can all probably agree is not going to be a great movie. <laughs> it's not going to be this Marvel type movie that that attracts a lot of attention. Like are they wrong to try and go after that market because I think you've you've talked about that market being a dead market. Yeah, I mean look, Knives Out was a I think it did uh, you know, 300 million worldwide, 150 million domestic. I mean, I love the movie, but I mean, it wasn't a massive movie. I, the problem not with a this, broad appeal movie. Though. The, look, the problem with this strategy is what Brandon just said. There's only a few movies that are working in theaters, and they generally are superhero movies. And if you don't have that superhero movie that people are, you know, we'll see whether Top Gun really works. I mean, obviously the buzz is amazing, but I'm still in Walt's camp of like I'm still worried that it's sort of it's older, and is it really going to be the thing that really drives people? I mean. I'm very skeptical. People say it's it's awesome. I mean, I know the screening, well, Jess, the on. next Jess screenings I, on my birthday, and I'm considering doing that for my birthday. And I fucking hate theaters. Jessica and my, who's my wife for podcast listeners, and I are huge fans of Downton Abbey. That's the one going to theaters, right? This weekend. We're. I I talked. I said like, oh, you want to go see in the theater? I'm like, do you want to go? Like, nah, I'll wait for it when it hits the the streamers. And we're huge Down fans of that show. Wait, it's what is that Down show, Rich? Downton Abbey. Oh, okay. Did you just say Downton? <laughs> he didn't he say Downtown. I told him Downton. No, anyway, Rich, downtown. but let me go back. By the way, again. can I point something out? Not no, no, no. to go off the rails. No, Walt makes fun of me for liking Yellowstone. And then because it's a soap opera and then likes Downton Abbey, which is it's even embarrassing. more soap opera. It's opery. totally embarrassing. It's totally embarrassing. At but least my British. show is violent. I'm an Anglo follower. Can we just Rich. nip this? I want to I pin no, 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 a pin No, no, no. I don't want to nip it, but I think you just answered before we went on that entertaining tangent. 
you just I think what you basically said was like, you don't think that this is a good strategy for Netflix. I'm skeptical that this is going to move the needle because I don't think these are the movies that people are going to go to theaters to see anymore. I think that's the problem. I think Netflix is just trying to grab, you know, 3% revenue growth here, 5% there, 10% there, any, anything that they could get at this point, because they're like, Oh, what's the, what's the split on something that does 200 million in, in the theaters. Oh, that's like so what happened half to video of it is a hundred million. Da, 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 da. I don't know what the PNA is. They're probably spending it anyway. Video games is going to be a very long dated thing. Okay. While it takes a long time to build um, a, a games business, even if you're licensing and especially on India. mobile and good luck. <laughs> India. All right. Can we go to the next slide? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. That was a good one. Thank you. We um, thought we were short on topics today. I think okay. this might be the longest podcast ever. Next. Yeah, we got to make sure that it doesn't exceed 60, though. Okay, yeah. let's go. Uh, Brendan, why don't you read uh, PFL? Sure. This is from Jabari Young. At $500 million valuation, Alex Rodriguez is making a bet on mixed martial arts company PFL. He becomes an investor in $30 million funding round as PFL aims to target hashtag UFC fighters with its, quote, super fight pay-per-view to debut in 20. Thanks for reading the hashtag there. That was and that then, tweet would not have made sense without you saying hashtag UFC as opposed to just UFC fighters. I, no, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> And then this is from the PFL account itself, 50-50 revenue split for pay-per-view fighters. Quote, true economic partners, fighters first. Here we go. So, so a direct shot at UFC. Like that's what this uh, is. Yeah. This, well, is, this is taking I mean, a shot. Look, Don, we, we met Don Davis. Uh, Who's Don Davis? Many? First name person? Okay. He is the founder of, I believe he's the founder, right, Rich? He is uh, the founder uh, of PFL, the professional PFL. Fighters League, just to Got be clear. It. Thank you. And when we met him, he wanted to come up with an alternative to UFC and most of the kind of MMA promotions by moving to a league-based approach. And that sure. that has been what differentiated them from the other promotions since then. Now he is adding these what two pay-per-views per year Mm -hmm. and the differentiating point is the 50 50 split for with fighters so he thinks now he can go and attract the best fighters because they're going to get paid more money this is the you know it sounds overly simplistic though it's not just about that though right like it's that's a pretty big issue isn't it (laughs) i i mean i mean he is going for the jugular here, whether bit, the fighters 50, actually move over or not. Right. We don't know. Well, how but many people way, watch a traditional pay-per-view on UFC? Like how big is the dollars of a UFC pay-per-view and will the PFL pay-per-views be as big dollars? Forget about the split for well, a second. Okay. Wait, the wait, pot? Okay. No, well, this is the interesting question because this question that you're asking is, is it the fighters that drive um, the interest or is it the platform in this case, the league, which is UFC? Well, Connor McGregor drives pay-per-views himself. 
Do other fighters not as much, right? Like he clearly drives. Oh, there's, there's a pretty strong handful of, of fighters. I think that do. Um, now if Connor, and I don't know what contractually, you know, what his contract says, but imagine Connor's contract runs out and Connor decides to fight in PFL as opposed to fight in UFC. What do you think those numbers look like? On a relative basis, I think they're they're because of him, they're equivalent. And frankly, if you get someone like him, he's going to help the brand. So it's kind of like Howard Stern getting signed on to Sirius. You got to get a Connor, and then people will be will know the brand. And then even if these other fighters are not as good, they're not going to see that much of a drop off if Connor or a one of the, I don't know who these fighters are, but I'm sure there's some other high profile guy that Mark knows about that I don't. But if they get over there, people understand the. And by the, let me actually, I'm going to dial that back. If I actually give a shit about UFC, it, my experience with, which I don't, my experience with people like Mark, who's on our team, who care about UFC, they know about PFL. So they will fo- they will follow the content where it goes. So I don't think there's going to be much of drop off of any if it, if they if it's still produced well enough. The, the only oh, thing I'll and, say is I do think the ESPN, right? right, the ESPN, ESPN marketing yeah. matters, right? Yeah. Like for if, if you're not Connor, ESPN helps you in a way that. I don't know if PFL and their partnerships will in the same way. No amount of marketing is going to get me to watch one of these fights. It's only going to be Mark saying you should watch this and put some money on it. So like (laughs) people that, that, that follow this stuff, aren't they going to find the content because they actually care about it? Like you don't need to market to me where Liverpool is playing or where the Eagles are playing. I'm going to find it and watch it. So isn't the fan base effectively the same? Are they really, is, are they going to a, does a casual user want to see someone's face get beaten in? Like what's the market growth opportunity based on advertising from ESPN? No, this is, these are pay-per-views. These are pay-per-views. So there's yeah. no advertising. Oh, no, no. He's saying, well, promote, my, he's saying oh. ESPN promoting, promoting um, the fight um, on ESPN. I, I mean, I think it has that, been that, very, that hard. has, that has to matter. Walt. It okay. does. It, it has to. And you've seen, the just like an example of how these things matter i'm sure that this xfl deal that they just signed they probably took less money to be in the espn complex to get that brand kind of fire started than they could have if they went to like fucking peacock or something don't you think rich completely and my guess is you want to be associated with the espn brand i mean um you know, we had on, um, you know, John Patrickoff with the women's softball and, and league that he started, and they just chose ESPN. I think a big part of it was for promotion. I mean, the AU Sports, the Athletes Unlimited, like they chose it because they wanted to be part of the ESPN marketing machine. And like, yes, nobody cares about sports center anymore, but ESPN is still a massive marketer. And that helps, you know, what I would call, you know, especially sports that are, you know, on the upswing and growing, it's a nice turbocharge to, to those sports. But I, you know, for Connor, I agree. It makes no difference. I think it's really about everybody else, or at least whatever tier two and three are. Let's take this back to stocks again. Okay. The stock that's most, you know, directly impacted by this is Endeavor. Um, And frankly, the, most attractive part of Endeavor is those, you know, locked in contractual rights and sort of the outperformance that the content has had um, since moving over to ESPN. Does, does PFL 
like pose a threat to Endeavor? I mean, only if you see talent, you know, like if you woke up tomorrow and Conor McGregor and a few other fighters all start moving over, sure, then it matters. If it's, hey, there's a new league that's paying fighters more that is existing on the side of it. I mean, all of these streamers need more content than, I mean, certainly more this type of content, unique content to drive, tune in to drive gross ads. I don't think it matters. It only matters if talent, to Walt's point, if talent starts moving over, then it's a problem. Right. And I think it's very, very unclear how much talent, especially given kind of the contractual locks, you know, for the bigger stars, at least that UFC has at this point, um, which they're kind of famous for. And I don't know that deal is coming up for renewal in a couple of years. You're probably going to start to see negotiations in about a year. I don't think PFL is going to make that much traction in that time, especially <laughs> since they're just launching the pay, like even, you know, starting to think about launching um, the two pay-per-views per year. It's I, simply I, something to I, watch. It's a, it's a yeah, topic it's to watch. I think it's something to watch. My guess is Endeavor does not get hurt for this, for this round though. Move on to Polygon and Phil Spencer, Brandon. Polygon is the tweeter. Phil Spencer apologizes as Bethesda delays raise questions about the Xbox. Let me read the tweets from now on, Rich. What? Because he because he because he literally can't read. Is that the problem? Why, why How would you want me to? Just, uh, I don't know. So just you just want it. me to be like Phil Spencer apologizes yes. Bethesda delays raise questions it doesn't need to raise be dramatically delivered about word xboxes by word, painstakingly. Um, <laughs> game pipeline so okay as you guys as you guys know there have been two major um publisher acquisitions that were done by um um by microsoft xbox division in the last couple of years one is Activision, and prior to that was Bethesda for whatever it was, $8 billion. The reason that they're buying these assets has been really to get Xbox Game Pass moving and to move first-party content day and date into the subscription to push that their subscription efforts forward. To date, there have not been any day-and-date releases of major games on Xbox Game Pass at all. They were supposed to really start with Starfield and Redfall that were out of this Bethesda acquisition. And with the delay, they're not happening until sometime in 2023. And look, Phil's promised four of these releases um, per year, at least one a quarter. Um, and it's not happening. Why? Labor issues? Like, why, does, why do these things get delayed typically? Typically, these things get delayed because, quote, the game just isn't ready. It isn't good enough um, for prime time. And the studios just are continuing to, to iterate on them until they get them right. So if you remember, um, there have been... I don't know, uh, Battlefield, I think the CD project um, release from last year is actually, um, oh my goodness. Now, this is the second time I'm blanking today. Mark, help me. 
Why are you having so much trouble? I don't know. Well, while you're thinking about that, can I just ask it like a yeah. similar? So I remember reading something about Steam and one of the management um, challenges that I guess they had, maybe it was Steam, I think it was Steam. Um, and they were said like you could work on whatever project you wanted to. So you're sitting there, you're a developer, you're on your roller, you roll from one section to the other. So I would imagine I'm taking that to conclude that games, there's many people working on a game to get it to a conclusion. Yeah. Have any of these studios, I guess is what you would call them, complained uh, about the inability to hire enough people to work on the game? And is that is the issue more about having the people to work on the game to get shit done? Or is it that whatever the people are getting done is just someone at the top is deciding this is not compelling enough. Let's put another, let's put some more time in, in figuring out a better way to go with the game. By the way, I was thinking of cyberpunk and <laughs> my brain is just, I couldn't think of bird box earlier. Now cyberpunk. Um, but I, it's, I think it's more the latter Walt. When you saw what happened with cyberpunk, there was so much pressure to get the game out that they released a game that, I remember that buggy. It yep. sucked. I mean, you know, right, so someone doesn't know. I, I was, that mistake I was once playing you it the for, brand, you're screwed. Yeah, yep. Exactly. I was playing it for two days or three days and then I got stuck and I, I literally couldn't play anymore. Um, so you don't want a situation like that, especially for something that's going to be, you know, fairly um, high, high profile. <clears throat> so the, you know, these games go through alphas and then they go through betas to try and get the game to be as good as possible um, when when it's released so that, look, your tweaks are going to be made. That's one of the be- the things that's amazing about games now. They're kind of living, breathing um, organisms and you can, you know, make adjustments over time, but you want it to be as good as possible. And you don't you have know, to ship a new cartridge. Yeah, when, when you, well, not cartridge. Going back into <clears throat> dating. <Patch. laughs> um, so that's probably what it is. That being said, there is a lot of competition for labor um, in the game space now, especially you know given all the venture money that's come in to back Web3 games and um, a number of other game projects as the kind of like 3D interactive world has um, has caught fire in the investment community over the last couple of years. <clears throat> Should we move on? Sure. Walter, little administration piece. <laughs> you always introduce my tweets as a little something, a little. Why are you? Why are you diminishing what I'm talking about? It's always a little 5G, a little this. It's not little. This is a big deal, Rich. This is a big. It's not that big of a deal. PC uh, I Magazine. Was, I was actually the doing it from the size of the administration fee increase was why I said. Now you no. always introduce me with a little. I'm going to go back and provide a mixtape. Joe, get fine, on that. Fine. Uh, the administrative fee associated that is with true, each- actually. <clears throat> oh, can you give us a little bit on Spectrum or a little bit on? Before we get back to the way more important yeah, Netflix, exactly. Disney. I mean, yeah. Jesus. All right. Yeah. So PC Magazine tweets, the administrative <clears throat> fee associated with each voice line is being increased to $3.30. And basically what this means is those advertisements that you see for cell phone plans, $50, $55, whatever. They want to make more money. But if they said, Rich, your phone, your bill is going to go from $50 to $55. That's a headline number. That's going to impact gross additions, churn, yada, yada. 
when they layer it into an administrative fee where it says, oh, by the way, your bill is changing and it's a dollar or whatever it is, and it's below the line, your pricing remains the same compared to the others. And, and since your customer base is so large, you're able to um, generate a billion five of incremental free cash flow. This is not a new thing. They've done this before. We highlighted it years ago when AT&T did it, but these fees creep up. So the question then remains like, and again, we've talked about this many times in the podcast. How are, this is a question to you, Rich, to see if you're, you're paying attention. How are wireless companies attempting to grow their revenue? Rich just tweeted. They are trying to get you to upgrade to more expensive plans exactly. by including incremental things like, like Disney Plus or the Disney Triple Play And what's bundle. happened recently? That has become less of a benefit than it was a year or two ago. Because enough people got that cared about Disney Plus got it or Netflix and got it. And then there wasn't. An, so in this search for growth, like, okay, so this is effectively a price increase. The question is, if that little admin fee on your bill is $3, when do you notice it? What if next year it becomes $4? The year after that, it becomes 5 If they start leaning on this. Cable companies have done this for years. RSN fees and broadcast TV fees. And <clears throat> I mean, all of these companies figure out ways to essentially screw the consumer by, you know, quote unquote, hidden fees that add up. Right. In a competitive market, you would theoretically, um, the uncarrier would have said, hey, you know, highlight this and, you know, look at our no fees, no taxes and, and you know, dumb and dumber. So T-Mobile was surprisingly quiet this week when these press reports came out. And why is that, do you think? Because they're going to do the exact same thing Boom. now because or everybody have already done it or have already done it. Everybody's copying everybody as they look for incremental revenue as the market matures. Right. So the question is, at what point does the consumer recognize? Your point is, if cable's done it for years, never. So then the only the third leg on this is, does one of the regulators step up and say, like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person um, to figure this out? Normally, I would always like to bring up our, uh, I don't know, well, I would like to bring up Lena Khan from the FTC. She doesn't really have jurisdiction. So it might be an FCC issue in terms of like, can you justify those, those incremental expenses that keep rising? Well, what's happening at the FCC these days, Brandon? That's a very good question, Walt, because it's now been, what, how, how long are we into the Biden administration? And what Brandon is 16 months, you both have passed the telecom quiz. There is only four it's out insane. of the five commissioners. How is this even possible? No, I'm serious. Well, part of it is the Republicans. We passed the telecom done a, quiz. Done a good <laughs> you passed their telecom test. Okay. The little portion of our podcast I know what is you over. care now about. Go back to the main script. <laughs> Can we go back? All right. Um, what, was well, that no, no. like, was that like intermission? Yes, it's always. I've always positioned it as intermission. <laughs> the house music just came on for like, <clears throat> sorry, do, 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 for do. for a couple of minutes. Everyone went and got there. So uh, I just want to break was longer than four minutes. <laughs> I just I need you guys to know because I just checked my <clears throat> charter spectrum bill. How much do you think my broadcast TV surcharge is in twenty twenty two? Eight seven ninety nine. Oh, we wow. just call the same thing. If we're right, that's amazing. Go. What's the number? I'm actually sickened by this because I haven't looked in a long time. It was $21 last month. Shut wow. up. 
I'm looking at my bill. How is that even possible? Dude, I am looking at the May 1st, 2022 bill. It says broadcast TV charge $21, FCC admin charge $0.09, franchise fee $7.97, PEG capital fee. fee. I don't know what PEG capital fee is. That's $1.71. What's your, what the fuck? You should look at our office bill, which is from a competitive provider. This is not like the incumbent. I pay $30 in fees, $30 in fees monthly now. Dude, our our office line, which is VoIP, I think- Mm -hmm. 40% 40% of the bill, maybe higher, is basically taxes, fees, and administ- and all this other bullshit. I do get a dollar credit, though, for getting paperless. A dollar. Yeah, I get a dollar for not having a paper bill. Why um, do you, wait, why do you even have that? It's a really, I have to get rid of it. I just haven't gotten rid of it's the box. It's absurd. Because I, I, know, like, I, have I, know, you, I anyway. know you have YouTube TV, so I, I know. why do you have that? I have no reason. Literally, but I just bottom, like giving money to charter. Line is that it's been done for such a long period of time that these oligopolists can effectively continue to to charge an extra fifty cents a dollar, whatever it is, year after year after year. Okay. Look, I don't think the, that's why those, you're going to cancel. Those are who are those right? Those who are still subscribing to the MVPD bundle on a wired basis are probably those who are you know, just letting inertia take them and don't look, don't care. It's just, what's the upper limit? What's the, uh, we're not talking about broadband. We're not, what's the upper limit? $2 a year? year? (laughs) Cause I'm trying to back into how many, how many dollars can they layer into your admin fee? um, And to get to a growth rate that's acceptable to investors for top line. And and the honest answer is if you would have told me that fee was more than $10, I would have told you, you were shitting me. That's fucking crazy. But no RSN, <laughs> no RSN fee. They don't. Charter does not do an RSN fee. So it's probably just embedded in that is my guess is they just throw it together versus separate. Yeah, that's probably the case. Because how much are the New York RSNs in aggregate? I mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot. I mean, the, I mean, MS, I, the a MS, lot more the than MSG, $21. The MSG suite is eight bucks on its own. Add SNY and um, uh, yes, and you're yes. over. My you're brain is shot today. I couldn't think of yes. Okay, okay. yeah. And let's like let's, all together. You're close to twenty bucks right there. Read Stephanie Brandon. No, I want to read it. Fine. Stephanie McMahon. Walter. Stephanie okay. McMahon tweets: As of tomorrow, I am taking a leap of absence from <clears throat> the majority of my responsibilities at WWE. WWE is a lifelong legacy for me, and I look forward to returning to the company that I love after taking this time to focus on my fa- the focus on my family. So, what is this, Brandon? Is what is I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and you know personally take this at face value, which okay. is that look, um, uh, Stephanie McMahon's husband um, has you know known Vince in the McMahon. wrestling world. <laughs> Um, as Triple H, Paul, um, had, you know, was sick earlier in the year, was forced to retire. And she probably, she has kids who I think are in their teens, um, two daughters, and probably just wanted to refocus um, on family and put family first at, right now. That was probably a wake up call. Like in COVID, we all kind of had wake up calls. Um, and what's the alternative theories that are out there? Well, the alternative theories are that, you know, 
and this this is something that has to be discussed the heir to um to uh WW, it, to, to wwe is mcmahon's children Yep. And the child of his that has been currently by far the most involved in WWE has been Stephanie. Um, Shane has really not been involved. And her profile has risen significantly through the years. She's now chief brand officer. She um, has been on the conference calls every quarter. Um, and the theory is that maybe, you know, Vince is rethinking what the uh, what the next steps are here, and so that Ken maybe Roy it doesn't the stay. Is what you're saying, and and the company might be for sale. I mean, yeah. look, I, there, I, I there was is, trying to there... I was trying to tiptoe around it, but that's no, I mean, look, the, let, that, let's just be clear. That's the theory, right? The theory or the, you know, how do I put this? Uh, uh, if you want to like get Oliver Stone on it, um, is that is that that may be what's happening here. If you were to look at all U.S. media rights for WWE, total dollars spent on U.S. media rights, how big is that number? Ballpark. On Today. WWE? Yeah. Uh, well, just on the Raw and SmackDown, you're talking about $500 million. Right, just on those two alone. And then you add on the WWE Network yeah, and all of that. It's yeah, that's more. a couple hundred million. Right. So yep. I'm saying, so let's just say 700 million is a starting point. Dom- for the US we're talking media about rights. domestic. Just yeah. domestic. Just saying 700 million. You think about, okay, that contract's going up. Sports rights are you know more bidders now. You just think about where those numbers are going. And do you want to license WWE? Or do you want to buy WWE? No, and I, I think mean, Rich, that's we've the talked fundamental about this issue, for, right? We've talked about this forever, how it's always made sense for somebody to buy WWE, in particular for Comcast to do it, given the fact that they have SmackDown. Now they have the paper. Uh, sorry, they have Raw. They have the pay-per-view rights. Um, there's a ton of other programming reality programming that they've done together it's always sure. made sense for comcast to buy it. i don't know if that's something that brian wants i know brian was probably a little bit resistant um to do the uh the wwe network deal which has worked out very very well for um for nbcu but it was the thought has always been that vince would never sell and that the family would take over um and that would be spearheaded by stephanie and paul aka so triple h we talked about competition to pf well, or into ufc with pfl the other tweet we have here on wwe is from cage side seats sasha banks naomi walked out of raw over creative issues so what's is there more competition coming to wwe now brandon um well, we all know that there's been AW has been lurking. It's been the first, you know, relatively competitive um, promotion that they've dealt with in, I don't know, well over a decade. Do you think it's hurting WW or how, like, is it directly no, hurting? I, so if you look at AW's ratings, okay, they kind of peaked, I think, I don't when it was maybe it was last late summer or september i looked up um what they did last week 
Um, and I think it was something like, you know, 900,000 viewers. So not like massively competitive um, to what WWE is doing, even as WWE ratings have kind of, you know, petered out. I think I actually think like last week on Raw was like 1516. But the fact that AW is lurking there does give the talent some leverage over WWE. And I know that at least, or I've read that at least one of um, these two women who are the current tag team champions um, has a contract coming up for renegotiation. And, you know, this was apparently about them not liking the creative direction um, that their characters were going. But if there wasn't an AEW out there, then they would have no ability to, to push back. Right. And so the reality is, is this that this is overall adding to the level of competition. This just may no, signal. I, I mean, it, it just may I, signal I competition is increasing. No, I think that because there's competition, it gives talent a little more leverage than they than they had before. I think that's the well, that might like, be the I, same. That's, that's the that might obvious, be the same. That's the obvious answer. But that might be the same thing with with PFL and UFC. It might not lead to fighters leaving. It might just give fighters a bit more leverage to improve their future contracts with UFC. Depending how much traction PFL gets. AEW, I mean, look, again, it's it's not what it was in August um, or September, where it reached like one point, almost pretty much where Raw was this past week in a couple of weeks. Um, but you know, PFL is not that at this point. So we have to see where PFL kind of winds up. <clears throat> so we've been tracking um, USFL since it started. And while the Fox management team was obviously very enthusiastic about it, it is not easy to start a new, uh, starting a new league is is certainly not easy. Viewership dropped significantly in the week five. There were two games over 1 million viewership in week four. And it shows sort of, the week five games were ranging anywhere from 250,000 viewers to 900,000 viewers. And so there's definitely pressure on viewership. Um, at the same time, we're seeing other sports like the NBA. And I think we've seen really strong ratings out of baseball, but uh, NBA playoffs, the most watched through two rounds since 2014. That's pretty incredible, especially when you think about the fact this whole sort of push for everyone to get outside and to start doing things outside and not wanting to be home. And yet, TV ratings for sports, especially playoff sports, seems to be really, really strong. Yeah, for NBA, NHL. Um, but even MLB yeah, start of the season doesn't look bad either. Just kind of like looking back, you know, and we we wrote that that piece a year ago trying to figure out why sports ratings were so crappy during mm -hmm. the pandemic, especially um, on playoff games. To me, it was all about the crowds. I get so like, I will watch. I think Walt was any, the first one to really get yeah, upset with that. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I mean, and yet, and yet the crowds in Miami are pretty terrible. They show up late. They yeah. don't really get into it, but the Celtics are, are there's great so content. much energy though. Well, yeah. all, all of these games have just, you know, so much energy. I, I feed off it just sitting yep. in my, in my living room, not even watching my teams. And as you know, my teams are, you know, I, yeah, now eliminated. Just been better. Yeah. The playoffs have been better. I can't speak to baseball because 
I flip that on an occasion. I still find it, find it boring as sin. So like, I don't still don't understand how ratings can be up there. I also think if you go back like um, to a year ago and or like to really to the height of the pandemic, when we we're in the bubble two years ago, like what was the current thing at that point? What was, you know, the, what was driving the zeitgeist and the conversation between people? It was three things. It was Trump. It was BLM um, during those playoffs. And it was COVID. There was so much mind share and conversation being taken um, by that, that sports kind of fell back as secondary in the zeitgeist. And as that happened, yep. naturally, people are going to watch less and watch more, you know, news, the things that people were really talking about. I mean, so I think now, that was part of it. But now too. you have the market crashing, which only impacts a percentage of the population. But you do have fucking inflation. <laughs> I don't know if there's stuff to watch. Like you don't. Yeah, but no. CNN who's talking about? No, you're right. It, you know, it's like that's that's not conversation. That's conversation. It gives you anxiety. You need escapism base. from it. You need escapism from the market. And the, uh, I also think that there's like kind of this, and we've talked a lot about this with live events. This sort of the equal and opposite reaction to things and things that were kind of pushed down during the pandemic are exploding the other way now that maybe the pandemic isn't over, but insofar as our experience is, things are fully reopened and you know pretty much normal again. Like you're seeing that that equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, it's just weird. I wouldn't have expected TV ratings to be part of that. I mean, obviously it's not for non-sports, but it's just interesting that sports ratings really are rebounding. No, yeah, uh, more people, than we would have people thought. People watched a lot less, you know, sports again being part of the conversation. And then the last thing is sports have just been fucking awesome this year. By the way, yeah. I mean, let's kind of go. It may just be content. We can just go back league, to content, yeah, content, go, content. Go back to the same, content, league yeah. by league. Like those NFL playoffs were the, were the best ever. Were the best fucking NFL playoffs ever. I mean, every game came down to you know the end. You had the NCAA tournament, um, which was absolutely out of sight this year. And now, like, look at the NHL. I think they had five game sevens out of the seven series in the first round and some really good storylines um also in the nba so we'll see we'll see how it uh, it holds up but um look you know the, well, let's in, tie in this the sea into of content rich you know we talk about how like there's so much fucking you know to so many series and so much general entertainment content um as far as sports is concerned, it's it just stands out from that group, except for the USFL, which was but, the point. Well, again, and that's where oh, I was God. going is obviously USFL is not catching fire. Now, look, five weeks is still a relatively short time. This is a new league. This is a new behavior of spring football. I think it's also interesting that at the same time, the USFL is trying to you know invigorate ratings and establish sort of habit. At the same time, we've got, you know, this deadline Hollywood tweet. Dwayne Johnson and The Rock and Danny Garcia announced Disney will carry all XFL games when spring league returns in 2023. And they're going to split these between, I believe this is going to be between ABC, ESPN, and even FX. And so they're going to sort of do a blitz across their linear channels um, in much the way that Fox and NBC are sort of co-broadcasting the USFL games. 
you know, I, I just, I guess the question is, is we're not sure there's enough interest in one spring football league. Now we're looking at next spring, we're going to have two. And what does that, I wonder if it helps having two and there's just more spring football or does having two, they each take away from each other and you sort of divide this audience. I guess that's the, un, that's the, the multi-million or billion dollar question. My disinterest in talking about this tweet is probably equivalent to the disinterest people are going to have in watching it. You know, we're, our t- podcast is getting a little long. I'm not sure this should even ju- justified making our Twitter deck. Wow. Okay. We're going to move There's on. There's my answer about the XFL. That was harsh. Yeah. It will be on ESPN though, to the extent that that helps <laughs> from a marketing standpoint. Um, let's move on to the last slide. We've got um, John Oren, Sports Business Journal. NHL Commission Gary Bettman on RSNs, quote, going direct to consumer over time makes more and more sense. I thought that was a great last week because it's like, no shit, really? Like, what is the other? So, I mean, I'm not sure what the business model looks like. That's Gary's problem is that there's no well, clear economic model. We, I mean, we, we have talked about this, right? And with the RSNs going direct to consumer, that has, that probably follows the rest of sports rights going direct to consumer because as you know, for as long as all the national sports rights remain in the bundle, you're probably going to have a situation where if you like sports, you get the bundle and you're not going to get anything over the top. You're not just going to get the RSNs over the top and not get the national stuff. And to be fair, if, 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 if the, if the NHL wanted to go truly direct to consumer, they shouldn't have done a deal for out of market with ESPN. They shouldn't have done a deal with Sinclair. They should have packaged all of their rights together and tried to actually do their own direct to consumer product, which is what Major League Baseball is trying to do is gain access to all of their rights globally and actually create a unified offering versus hockey, which is now split it in seven different directions and can't go direct to consumer in a cohesive product. I guess I, I just don't think it matters until you don't ESPN, think it works no matter what until ESPN makes the first move and pulls out of the bundle. Then, depending on the economics, you know, if it's cheaper than than getting a bundle to ha- have your RSN package and, you know, your like ESPN and whatever other streaming services, then you do that. Otherwise, you just continue to have the bundle. Anyway, I can't wait for this Sinclair product to crash and burn. <laughs> His other favorite topic. By the way, on NHL, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I did watch that Rangers game seven. Very exciting. Yeah. MSG was was It was big, big energy. But there you go. <laughs> the very end, because it was overtime, right? That they won or extra period, whatever they call it. It epitomizes like the challenge of hockey, which is I didn't see the goal go in. Then they're showing the celebrating fans for like two minutes, which is fine. Then they show the replay. Even on the replay, I'm not even sure how that puck got. It just so you're saying it just moved too fast for you. It's just like there's no. When I think about when the Sixers lost to Toronto and that the four dunks, or like when the Eagles had the double dunk on the against, I think it was the Bears. Like there's some drama to the final. Like with Oh, dude. They're sitting there watching everyone's intent. There's Boom, so much drama. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But the amount of drama in these overtime hockey games where it's no, like. It's good. The intensity yeah. is good. Yeah. The intensity is insane. The crowds like are insane. The first row pounding on the glass. Yeah, I love like, that. What are you doing? What are you and, doing? And, like, you're an idiot. 
Stop with the pounding on the glass. It's just big, big energy. Well, Brandon, I want to give you cred for some very good music this week and for remembering without being told that it was episode 107. So oh, I couldn't remember much else this week, Rich. You did a great job, Brandon. I, I think it's, our music. It just it's, ended. It's oh, time. I think for it went some too sleep. long. No, it's you started it too early. So let's 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 do it is again. That the Rich. Soundtrack nah. from Wall Street. That, is that, but, is that little audio clip? Is that from Wall Street? This is DJ Khaled. I don't even know what this is. This is whatever next is on that album. No, this is this is actually, I think, his remix of the same song. Okay. We're but here's the thing. If it's a remix of the explicit version, we Uh-oh, can we cannot we absolutely cannot okay. play it on the air. I purposely Have a great weekend, everyone. chose the radio edit. Later, everyone. Bye. Yeah.